I was asked if uh, we were going to have service tonight, um, but of course, we will continue a study called Contending for Truth, uh, and it will press on, and speaking of contending for truth, if you came today thinking that I was going to preach on the resurrection, you're two weeks early. Um, that would be 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I have uh, two more messages out of 14. And I do want to deal with procedure for prophecy uh, and uh, continue with what we've been going through. Um, I think it goes back to my understanding that the church meets to edify. Uh, and I know that on the holiday we have visitors, and I have, I, I am thrilled that you're here, but my responsibility are to those that I faithfully labor with. And part of what we are laboring with is that I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Okay? So today I will begin with a time of prayer. And then we will read the whole 14th chapter, and then we're going to kind of settle down in there um, about 29, 30 through 33, looks like. Yeah, because there's a special message beginning in verse 34 that we'll deal with next week. Just make a note of it. Let's pray. I'm going to read the 14th chapter. Father, We come on the greatest day of celebration that the world should have ever grasped, and that is the resurrection. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that the death of your son was enough to pay the penalty of our sins. And that, Father, your grace and your mercy, which is new every day, continues even 2,000 years to pour forth. Father, in the beginning was your word, and the word was with you, and the word was you. And Father, I pray for your saints that today we will drink deep of your word, that we will draw to you and God of your word. Father, I ask that even now the clutters that entangle us in this life will be set aside and that father we will rest and draw to you and you alone father thank you for your book thank you for your spirit who teaches us and thank you for your precious bride your church what she means for the equipping for the work that sets before us all father help us to hear Help us to see. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to your glory and praise. Amen. We'll start chapter 14, verse 1. We'll just read it all. Pursue love, yet earnest, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands, but his spirit, and he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in a tongue, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless, lifeless things either a flute or a harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle proclaims an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? 
for you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and to the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit, only how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at you giving thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Children, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to the unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things do, be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he should be, it should be two or three at the most, each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, then he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. But if the revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you the word of the Lord, word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the that the things that I write to you are the Lord's commandments. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in orderly manner. Really simple text, actually. But I want to bring it into to your mind because he's between 11 and 14, he's dealing with the church. When, when we gather together as a congregation of people, this is what I want you to do. And if you look at verse 26, you see that the church in Corinth was, let's use a great term, chaotic. I mean, in 26, it says, I've got people who are standing up doing special music all at once. I've got people who are teaching 
all at once that the special music is going on. I have people who have a revelation God has told me going on. And I have people who are speaking in a language going on. And I also have people interpreting going on all at the same time. Okay, that's why he says if an unbeliever comes in, he sees you like this. He thinks you're mad. And, and it's chaotic. It's confusing. And the key to the text is understand this. The church gathers together in the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us supernatural abilities so that we edify one another. Your responsibility as a believer is for the edification of the saints. My responsibility for a, as a believer is for the edification of the saints. My gift was given to me for your edification. Your gifts were given for my edification. Do you understand that? You know, I see people say, well, people need to get saved. You know, some churches, they need to get saved. But the church comes together so that they are equipped for the work of service. Listen, here's one of the things that's amazing about God. God is a God of instruction. He wants your mind and he wants to teach you. All right. Remember um, when Jesus was confronted by Nicodemus? Okay, he used a definite article in that text and it says he was the teacher of Israel. I mean, this guy here is it. This is like the dean of the University of Jerusalem. All right? And he says, but you must be born again. Did you not know? All right? And born again means you start over. You're going to start off, you know, I look at that text and everybody gets, what does it mean? Well, when you have a baby, an infant, you have these patterns that parents go through. The first thing you want the little bugger to do is roll over. Right? No, ain't, ain't, has it changed? It ain't changed, has it? All right. All right. Because I remember, because then I remember I want him to walk, and then I was like, oh, please sit down. Uh, and, was, and the kids were like, well, my parents are crazy. <laughs> you know, they want me to. Okay, but you, you want them to, to roll over, and then you want them to kind of get up on all fours, right? And then all of a sudden they get that crawling thing. All right. And then you want them up and moving and then you got tables. You notice that every piece of furniture you have has an edge on it. And the kids are all and you're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be awful. OK, uh, but but you do that. All right. When you're a Christian, guess what? You come to Christ and I don't care what age you come to Christ. The first thing you're going to have to learn to do is what? Roll over. OK, and you're still going to be a whiner. You're, you're going to say, hey, let me eat. And now I want you to take care of the problem of me eating. Okay? And that's what they do. You know, people say, well, what does the pastor do? You know what a pastor is? He's a waiter. That's all he is. God prepares a message, and I try to get it out without spilling it. And that's it. And what you eat of it is solely between you and God. That's what church is. And, and you know, I see things that they say... Well, but you need a seminary or you need this Bible college or you need this. No, you don't. No, you don't. He gives you the book. He gives you the Holy Spirit. All right. I have the author and I have the book. When I, you know, people say, well, what's the best tool that you use? Do you have a certain Bible program on your computer? The greatest tool I have in study of scripture is prayer. Help me. That's it. And you know what? To date, he's never let me down. I'm into that. I'm into that. So when you think about church, it is not this great place where everybody's trying to get saved. Although some churches are. All right. But for the bigger part of the purpose of the church is for the equipping of the saints, the building up of the saints. We should all be getting stronger. We take the Lord's table the first Sunday of every month. And I always stop, you know, in my time and say, have I grown in the last 30 days? All right. And then in June, that's when I first took the pulpit. I always ask myself in June, when I get ready to take the Lord's table, have I grown this last year? Okay. And that's my, that's how I measure it. All right. I do it monthly and yearly. All right. 
So when I think about this, it's amazing to me because chapter 12, verse 1 says of 1 Corinthians, I do not want you, King James says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Okay, Uh, the New American Standard translates it unaware. Okay, I ask the question, is the church ignorant about spiritual gifts? And if the church is, then I have to ask a second question. Why? Why is the church ignorant of spiritual gifts? Because I'm thinking that he don't write that in there. I don't want you to be ignorant about them, but I'm going to keep you ignorant about them. Okay, that ain't really how he does it, is it? And so if you read the text, it's really straightforward. You know, I've, I've, I've got some guys that I know that are sort of on the experiential side, and they say, well, isn't that controversial to teach that text? Well, no more controversial than the resurrection, no more controversial than the cross, no con- more controversial than man is blind, naked, and depraved, and none seek after God. I mean... <clears throat> I mean, if you're truly honest about it, his life, Christ's life, was a little on the controversial side. Right? And they said, well, why did he give it to me if I'm not supposed to read it? You know, that's an amazing thing to me. He gives us the Bible, we carry him around, but we're afraid to open it. You know, and, and I've used this illustration before, and well, the reason is I just seen it the other night on Turner Classic Movies. Macbeth was on again, and I watched it again for no apparent reason. Again, okay, this was a, a black and white one. I thought man, this has got to be got to figure it out. One of these days, I would like to take old Bill Shakespeare down and say, "What was you thinking? And what was the point of that?" Because, see, I can do that with the Scripture. When I read a text in the Bible, I can go to the author and say, what was that? You know, because everybody's asked me, I had a couple of people make a comment, uh, what are you going to do with verses 34 and on? And I said, well, they're not really in the original manuscripts. So I'm going to go right to 15. <laughs> and they go, what? <laughs> no. Well, you think about it. Teach Titus. Women, submit to your husbands. Duck. <laughs> I didn't write it. All right? I, and then it wasn't my idea to put it in there. All right? And, you know, people say, well, what are you going to do with that? I'm going to teach it. Why? It's in there. All right? And why is it in there? We'll deal with that in a week. Okay? We'll deal with that in a week. I'm just not that brave on Resurrection Sunday. Okay. Um, So what we're looking at is we moved into 15 or into 14, chapter 14, and we saw the importance of the gift of tongues. There are people today that will tell you that it's important. Paul says it's a secondary gift because it has absolutely no ability to edify. The gift of interpretation edifies. That's the one you want. Right? So it's a secondary gift. It isn't that important. Okay. Then we looked and we seen the intent for the gift of tongues. What was its intent? It is a sign. That's what it says. It says it's a sign. Okay, what kind of a sign is it? It's just like um, you're driving down the highway and you come up and there's a big old sign that says Denver 50 miles. All right, what does that say? It's informing me. All right, so what was it a sign? When we looked at it, we looked at it in depth. It is a sign of cursing first to the nation of Israel. And second, it is a sign of blessing because now the gospel is going to the Gentiles. That's really cool. I like that. I'm glad it was there. So then the intent of the gift was to tell Israel they were under God's wrath. Let me ask you a question. After 70 AD, do I have to repeat that to them? So do I need that gift? And he even says that it is not for believers. It is a sign to who? Unbelievers. So when you see people using tongues, why? And I've I've asked that. I have a dear lady friend, 
She prayed in tongues, and I said, what would you pray? And she says, I don't know. And I said, well, then how do I say amen, and how do I know if God answered it? I mean, if you, how do you know if God answered it? Oh, I never thought of that. Okay, who's buying breakfast? All right, but, but it's stuff like that that you just said, and you think, why are we ignorant? Okay, listen, experience never validates Scripture. Never. I have been to a Grateful Dead concert. It is an experience. It does not validate Scripture. (laughs) Well, it does, but it's different. (laughs) Then we had tongues and instruction, and we had four things we looked at last week. When you see tongues used, it should never be more than three people using it. That's what he says. Okay, it needs to be done in order. One person speaks in the language. Next person, no more than three. Okay, it always, 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 always must be interpreted. If there's no one to interpret it, he says, shh, be quiet. Okay, and be silent. So those are the four things that we looked at. And that, why? Because the interpretation of the language is what strengthens the church. Okay, but, and you know what, people ask me, do you believe in tongues? Yes, I do believe in tongues. Um, I don't believe we have a need for them, okay? Um, But I, and like I said, I believe that it was a sign for Israel. No, Paul believed it was a sign for Israel, and it was for their condemnation. They were condemned in 70 A.D., understanding that Judaism has never worked effectively since 70 A.D., There's never been a sacrificial system reestablished in the Jewish nation since 70 A.D. There isn't one today. Okay? So I'm thinking that, you know, God says wrath is coming in 70 A.D. He said, told you. All right? But any time, what I see today is, for the most part, counterfeit. All right? But I see it in all the gifts. All right, I have seen people who claim to have the gift of healings that don't have the gift of healings. Okay, but they claim it. All right, this is a gift of healing. Why? Somebody in Ethiopia has a backache and now they don't. All right, well, how do I, what is that? Okay, when I look at the gift of healings in the gospel, you got people who are dead who are not dead. You got people who are paralyzed who are not paralyzed. You have people who got no eyesight who now can see. And, 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 and when, when you see it work, it worked. We counterfeit everything. And that's what he gets to next is because in verse 29, he starts saying, you know what? They even counterfeit or corrupt the gift of prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. Okay, here we go again. What? I don't want the chaos. I don't need a bunch of guys with the gift of prophecy all speaking at the same time. All right? Um, It can be abused. You know, when you go to Russia, or if you go to Russia, I've been to Russia, you usually get three messages or two messages. In the bigger churches, you usually get one message. Why? Because they read their Bibles, and it says if you've got people with the gift of proclamation speak you're like what I mean the first Russian worship service I went to these ladies would get up and start reading psalms then they would sit down and somebody get up and sing and then sit down and then all of a sudden the guy in front of me got up and he preached and then they said you're up and then I got up and I preached and then the next guy came up and he preached and in between each of the preaching messages there's a a lady or a kid or a youth or a man or somebody would come up and they'll read a psalm they'll sing a song they'll read a poem they'll do something that would bring exaltation to, to Christ. And I thought, why are you doing this? Oh, they read Corinthians 14. And they do it one at a time in a very orderly fashion. And you sit there and go, wow, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. He says here, one is great, two or three is okay, but that's it. Right, one who spoke before. Can I understand prophetes? That's the term. 
Uh, it's one who speaks before. Okay, it ain't got nothing to do with telling the future. Although a prophet at times under revelation will tell the future. Please understand that. All right, but the term literally means pra before speak. That's what it means. Prophetes. All right, so when I look at the prophet, the prophet and the apostle are similar. And the reason that I say that, you can have two meanings in the word apostolos or apostolon, okay, and or prophetes. Two meanings. One can put a definite article on it, and it is the office of an apostle or the office of a prophet. The other is, is a messenger. An apostle is a messenger. When I go, I mean, in a, in a very, very good sense, when I go to Russia, I am a messenger from Kassarok Baptist Church. Okay, now, and, and in some cases, I'm giving revelation that they ain't never heard. All right, when my interpreter tries to interpret, woo <laughs> they say, what was that? <laughs> okay, and he just looks at me, how do I translate it? Just like that, buddy. You can't miss it. Okay, and I, it's difficult to have the gift of interpretation when I'm around. Um, but I bring in a message. All right, I am a messenger sent forth from this congregation. But when I stand up and on a Sunday morning or Wednesdays or Tuesdays or Thursdays or whenever I'm preaching, when I preach, I'm standing before. And it is prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Listen, I do not have the office of an apostle. An apostle is called by the resurrected Christ face to face you are going to do some work for me. That's the office of apostle. Okay? So when a person says he's an apostle, my first question was, what did he look like? You believe you're an apostle, what did he look like? Okay? And that always gets me in trouble. But anyway, um, when you have the gift of prophecy, understand that there are two ways that the gift of prophecy is worked. One is called revelation. Direct revelation, God speaking to the man, okay? Um, it has never been given before for the life of the church. This is new information, okay? The other one is what I call reiteration, repeating a message that was given by the apostles. If you look at the birth of the church, they were coming together daily and they were studying what? The, the doctrine of the apostles, all right? Uh, so there is direct revelations and then there is repeating what has been given. Guess what one I fall into? I repeat what has already been given. All right. I have um, received a message and I received it, you know, because I've had people say, well, does God speak to you every day? Every day. Every day I read my Bible, my Lord speaks to me. All right. I have 66 love letters. From the creator of existence. And I try to read them every day. Not the whole Bible, but, uh, you know, as much as I can get into. Okay? So, when you think about a church service, it is structured. And it starts out with the structure that you will speak one, two, or three of the prophets would speak at a time. Um, And they can take their time. They are speaking for God. All right. Listen, this is foundational. Go to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. He gave some to be as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. Okay. Why? Verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of service. And the work of service is for what? Building up the body of Christ. Do we know what the body of Christ is? That's the church. All right. So you have these supernaturally empowered men and they have started with the apostles and prophets. 
Okay, here's what's amazing about the apostles and prophets. It's a fascinating study. Um, you don't find them later in the church. Okay, in fact, when Paul writes the letters that kind of put the church in order, um, that would be First and Second Timothy and Titus. He never mentions apostles or prophets. He does mention elders. He mentions deacons, both male and female. Okay, but he gives a term that you and I know that we use it as a noun, but he uses it as a verb, poimia. Okay, that's the term that you and I know as pastor. And yet in the verb form, it means to shepherd. See the difference? Okay, the pastor we take as an office. Sure, absolutely. But the role is to shepherd. It's to shepherd. Okay, so he talks about the prophets, the office ceased. And you can see it. I mean, if you want to do an interesting study for yourself, I'm not going to do it for you. Take chronologically the letters in the New Testament and see how they fold out. It's kind of fascinating. First, letters in the New Testament, first and second Thessalonians. Okay, the conclusion of the book. Okay, the epistles are what? First, second, Timothy and Titus. Okay, and you see, you literally can watch Paul grow. You literally will watch Paul grow. But just take them chronologically and you can see how it works. And you see him talk about prophets and the gift of prophets, the office of prophets. You see it in the book of Acts, the office of prophet. But then as you move towards the end of the book of Acts, you start seeing that it's not mentioned anymore. I believe it was gone at the apostolic age. And the reason that I believe that is because of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. Having built on the foundation, okay, I just did that this week. Actually, it was a house that existed and I put the foundation under it. Seems odd. Yeah, it's sort of like trying to push a chain. Um, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and what? Prophets. And the chief cornerstone is Christ himself. All right. So the apostles and prophets were given for what? And then in chapter 4, he says, you have the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and the teachers. And if you think about it, ain't that the way the church started? You have the foundation. The chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The teaching of the apostles and the prophets were the foundation that the evangelist is moving off of. And the evangelist is drawing people into the body of Christ so that the pastor teacher will draw them and grow them. So they'll learn to roll over and crawl and walk and hopefully stop whining. Okay, so there is a time when you think about the gift of prophecy or the office of prophet that they are speaking God's message. Sometimes it's a prepared message. Did you know that? Sometimes it ain't. I've heard them. You didn't prepare. That sounded awful. All right. Sometimes it was through direct revelation without preparation and... Even then, it's never more than two or three because after that, it starts getting chaotic. And now people say, well, wait a minute. How do you know that it's from preparation? How do you know that the prophet ain't just speaking um, from direct direct revelation? I thought you would never ask. Okay? That's verse 30. Okay, verse 30 says, but if a revelation, oh, there's that word is made to another who is seated, the first one must what? Sit down. Must sit down. You know, it's like you've got three preachers and they're all sitting up there and one's getting right after it. He'd studied all week and he's just giving her what for. And that one sitting next to him, all of a sudden, he gets, God reveals something. He just tugs on the robe and says, I got something I need to say. And the first guy who had prepared is supposed to do what? Sit down. Now listen, if somebody stands up here now and says, Terry, I have a new revelation. I'm going to tell you that, no, I've got one that just came in after you. (laughs) Okay. I just got mine. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And guess what? You have another one? (laughs) I'll be a second behind you. 
All right, but, but, I, but I share that with you because it says that if God all of a sudden starts talking to one of the guys who's sitting down, the guy who is reiterating, he needs to do what? Sit down. Let the person speak forth. But here's another thing that we have to look at here. He says, <clears throat> let the others pass judgment. That's a funny statement, isn't it? It's a funny statement. Let the others what? The other prophets pass judgment. Okay, go back to chapter 12, verse 10, and you'll see that there was the gift of distinguishing spirits. Okay, that would be called the gift of discernment. Okay, distinguishing spirits. Okay, and, and when you look at that, you need to understand that when the guy is standing up there preaching in the Corinthian church, what Bible text is he using? He ain't got the New Testament. It may have been Old Testament, but I doubt it. He was probably speaking direct revelation and or something he had heard Paul or Cephas or Apollos speak. And he's just repeating it. And then occasionally God would speak to one of the guys and say, that's right. But it was responsibility of the other two prophets to do what? Make sure he wasn't lying. That's a fascinating thought because I listen to stuff today and I'm thinking nobody's reading their Bible because that's a lie. When I heard a guy in a week ago, everybody was all mad about this pastor and that he was anti-American and he hated America. And they said, well, what do you think? Do you do it? I said, nope, I could care less. I said, but I would not sit in that church. They said, well, because he's racist. And I said, no, he believed that Jesus is black. My Bible says he's Jewish. If you can't get that much right, I don't even need to hear any of the rest. I mean, that ain't rocket science there. He was at the line of David, which makes him Jewish. There we go. I, I, I mean, if you're that clueless about the scripture, I don't even care what else you're saying. But you see what I'm trying to get at? That ain't rocket science. And when I watch people debate, you know what? I can defend the Arminius viewpoint better than the Arminius can. I can defend gifts better than the gifted can. Why? I read my Bible. It wasn't rocket science. Please, I don't say that to be sarcastic. He gave us the Bible. He didn't give me the Bible. If you don't like what I'm saying, show me in the text. Because if not, then it's your opinion and your opinion is of great value to you. All right. And you know what? I am more concerned about God's opinion. What is he saying? And he didn't take the time to write this thing down and to guard it for all of these centuries just so we can be flippant with it. When the prophets were speaking at the church in Corinth, they didn't have no New Testament. They didn't have one. I mean, you're talking 50s and 60s when 1 Corinthians written, and they didn't realize that this letter that they would have been reading in front of the whole congregation was going to be the New Testament. That's fascinating. Okay? But there was a gift of discernment and there is a time when you can sit and say, that ain't right. And it's really easy for me today because I can usually read a verse in front or a verse in back and say, that ain't even close. All right. I mean, everybody will tell you that tongues is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Happens all the time. Three times. Only three times did it happen. You know what's amazing about it? All three times there's a whole bunch of Jews around. Well, that makes sense. But you don't see tongues coming on the church in Rome. You don't see it in Thessalonica. I didn't see it in Athens. I didn't see it in Galatia. I didn't see it in Iconium. I didn't see it in Lystra. Thyatira, I don't see it. Laodicea, I didn't see it. Why? There's no Jews. And every time there's a Jewish crowd around, somebody would speak in tongues. Why? It's a sign of judgment. 
the sign of judgment. And it started actually a little earlier than that when Jesus began teaching in parables in his public ministry. When they accused him of being of Beelzebub, that's a brilliance. Um, <laughs> you know, well, that's a good guess. Um, <laughs> he began, when they accused him of that, publicly accused him of the miracles he was doing by the power of the devil, um, he began teaching publicly in parables. Now, listen, I got news for you about parables. That's a riddle. And until I tell you what the answer is, it can be anything you want it to be. And then he would take his disciples off to the back and he'd explain to them what the parable was. Right? Let me tell you something. That's judgment. The only way a person gets saved is how? The preaching of the gospel. It is through the foolishness of preaching. And how do I get them that gospel? I send the preacher out. Right? If I preach to you in Swahili today, it is going to do you absolutely no good. Alright? It wouldn't do me any good either. But anyway, okay? But when these prophets preached, you need to understand that they were tested. That they were tested. Spirit-filled men doing the work of God, knowing the Word of God, and it was tested. You know, and I see this today in what I call the, the experiential movement. Uh, and they always talk about this new revelations. Um, and I wonder where the men of God, the spirit-filled men of God is with the gift of discernment who will know the truth from the false. And, and just say, you know what? That's silly. I, I seen a guy one time flopping around on a stage. Um, and the, the pastor said he's giving birth to new Christians. And I, and I just look at this thing and I say, why, why doesn't somebody say, what? I, I don't, what? What is this? Jump up and down. I mean, everybody was clapping and cheering. And I'm sitting there going, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And nobody is saying it. They're just... And I thought, gee whiz, whatever your offering is going to be today, spend it wisely. But anyway, I don't understand that kind of stuff. Why? Where is that? And I was talking to the president of a seminary here in Colorado, and he said that he's amazed at the ignorance of the students that are coming in wanting to go into the pastorate. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, a lot of the kids that come into the to the seminary, believe that under the Old Testament you are saved by works of the law, and in the New Testament you are saved by grace. And I said, well, I don't read the Bible. Um, and I audited a class with them. And when I read the, went through the class, it was very clear that everybody was there to try to get their degree. No one was there saying, you know, we're looking at the Word of the Lord. Okay? But I also did make the statement that... You guys are training the pastors who are teaching these kids who are coming to us. You're letting us down. <clears throat> Listen, the early church needed these people with gifts of discernment because there was no written word to test the discernment, to test the text, to discern what the church was supposed to do. They knew we were, they weren't supposed to do what the Jews were doing, hanging out at the temple and killing birds and sheep and bulls. They did know that. Okay. When I see people today who claim to have a new revelation, um, I know they're in trouble um, because they don't know if what they have is from God or not. Okay, and if you can't discern that, um, you know, I, I try to tell people it's safer to stop at the last chapter of the book of Revelations and just stay there. All right. Uh, did you know that the maps are not inspired? Okay. I, I wouldn't even wander into the maps. Okay. I just stay between Revelations and Genesis. Okay. And they usually have some kind of thing that they stick in the middle. Ignore it too. Okay. I mean, it could be some dissertation. Uh, another thing, just a footnote on this thing. Footnotes in study Bibles are not inspired either. Okay, I've seen people who will fight over footnotes. Okay, what does the text say? You know, I got into trouble in our denomination. I preached that the blood of, the text was the blood of innocent man is not on my hand, for I have not forsaken the full counsel of God to you. 
cat out of the book of Acts. And I said, I do not believe that there's multiple interpretations of Scripture. And they got mad at me. But I don't know. He didn't write it. If I write a letter to somebody, I mean what I say. Okay? And the words I use is for the meaning of what I said. God says, well, I wrote it that way, but you'll never figure out what I was really meaning. No, I don't think so. Okay, because I mean, and, and I, I, I want to deal with this because who was the elder in the elders in the church in Corinth? I don't know. You know what's cool? They didn't know either. Why? It was chaotic. So when you think about the gift of prophecy, three at the most. Secondly, pay attention that it's evaluated. And then I already looked at the other one that said, you know what? When, you, when you're dealing with this, um, <coughs> if somebody gets a revelation while one of the guys is speaking, then sit down and let the guy who just, God's got a new revelation, let him have it. All right? So I, it's really straightforward. You don't have this today. And here's the reason that I say this, this direct revelations. There's a text that I think is missed a lot. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15. I've got a picture. It's right by my, in my study that I look at. It's got this goofy guy standing up on this big old ladder, and I think about this. 2.15. You need to remember this one. Because, listen, I want to tell you something, a little footnote on this. This is not a pastoral epistle. No one in this text says this is a past. This letter is for pastors. It's not what it says. It doesn't even say that this letter is for elders or deacons. This is for the church. Here's what he says. Be diligent. You know what that means, right? Strive at it. Work at it. Pay attention to it. Strive with it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. That'd be a good thing to remember. Okay, I want to be approved to God. How? As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, what? Okay, now, you're looking at the last letter this guy ever wrote. You're looking at one of his first letters he ever wrote in the first Corinthians. His last letter is what? Handle the word of truth correctly. Now, Peter believed that Paul was writing scripture. That works for me. If Peter thinks he did, I'm thinking that, oh, that's fine. All right? So when I look at it, how am I going to be approved by God? Rightly handling Scripture. You know what's neat about this, though, don't you? That ain't just for me. If you're saved and you want to be approved to God... How would you be approved to God? Rightly handling truth. And that would imply reading it. Okay, back to our text 14. Wrap this thing up. Fourth thing that we're supposed to pay attention is that it's one by one. One by one. You can all you can all prophesy what? One by one. Take your time. Take the time allotted to you and use it. Here's why. So that what? All may learn and be comforted. Did you know that? Do you know that, that the preaching of the word you will learn and you will also be comforted you i can back it up a couple of verses that said if an unbeliever comes in and somebody's prophesying they can even be pierced to the heart and they will bow and fall on their face and worship god and say we are among god's people that's an interesting concept isn't it and you know what's amazing about that it doesn't say nothing about music doesn't say about anything about you know heebie-jeebie languages or um you know i remember a guy trying to tell me he could share the gospel in ballet and i thought Ugh. but anyway well, that means I never got saved. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I just don't hang out at the ballet. Um, well, don't. Anyway, um, one at a time, I want you to preach. Why? So that all will learn and all will be comforted. Why? I need the disorder. I need the chaos to be gone. Verse 32. Spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Your gifts are under your control. That means there's none of this flipping out stuff. You can't fall down on the stage and give birth to new Christians. Okay? Have your spirit control it. Okay, and then he gives a summary, a beautiful, and I, w- I want to kind of land here on this because this is amazing. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Okay, the service of the church should manifest the character of God. Did you know that? Some of the stuff that I see that we call quote unquote worship. I hope God doesn't act like that. Better yet, I'm glad God doesn't act like that. When we come together, Paul says we should be by the order and the beauty, that part of our service should be manifesting a manifestation of God who we serve. When you draw the church together, when we're all sitting together, it should see and be shining forth who is God that we serve. When I hear man-oriented worship, who is the God we serve? When I see God drugged through whatever, who is your God? And that's what the key is, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the word peace there means tranquility. It's a term. Remember when Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat? Okay? And the waters are crashing over, and they all, we're going to drown. Okay? And it says he stood up in the front of the boat and said, be still. And it literally means that the Sea of Galilee went flat. I mean, it went from waves crashing over the bow to flat. That's the term that's used here. God is a God of tranquility, of calmness, of easiness, of peace. What upsets God? Nothing. What throws God's plan off? Nothing. And that's what he's using here. He says, he isn't confusing. He isn't chaotic. When people come into the church in Corinth, they looked around and said, you guys are crazy. Okay? And you represent your God. And your God is crazy. But when it's done orderly, when it's done exalted, when it's done with the beauty that God has given us through the power of his spirit. I mean, whether it is your music, whether it is your reading, whether it is your praises, whether it is your prayers, it is done and it manifests God. And the people will see who? God. Have you ever thought that's why we are called the body of Christ? Who do we represent? See the difference? That's what he's getting at right here. That is so awesome. He says, do it in a system, in an orderly fashion. Why? You're manifesting the God that you serve. Whether it is music, whether it is the reading of the scriptures, whether it is preaching, it is the God of harmony, it is God of glory, it is is to be exalted. It's not chaotic. God is a God who wishes to give instruction. He meets someone. Have you ever sat and just met somebody? That's how I met Pastor Paul. I was at a Lord's table, huge church. And I sit down there, and I mean, there's, there was about 8,000 people there, and I just sit down, and all of a sudden, he comes walking up, that little grin on his face. You guys know Pastor Paul. And he sat down, and he says, God brought me today because I am to meet somebody, and we will fellowship together. 
Well, there you have it. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you were. I was just walking through. Anyway, um, and and we broke bread together. We partook of the cup together, and we got changed addresses. Next thing you know, I hear. <laughs> I was like, whoa, we got fellowship going on, and he was traveling around seeing his brother and some stuff. Why? Have you ever met those people who have a warm, compassionate heart? I mean, you just... It's instant. If you haven't, then talk to me afterwards. You need to get saved. But anyway, um, what? It's just instantaneously you're knit together. Pastor Paul is that way with me. Okay, you know what just did? He showed me that there's a God who cares. And he so cares that this man over in Burma and this guy, this crazy Yahoo in Colorado, boom, we're together. I did the same thing when I meet with some of the brothers in Russia. There's a couple of guys in Russia. You know, not the guy who throws the book at me, but the, there's some other guys that are there. And, and we are just knit together. I mean, they all know shut up. If you have the gift of tongues and no interpreter, you shut up. And they're all fluent and they're American now. Uh, shut up. It's American. Okay, but, but, but it's stuff like that. You just, it's just all knit together. It's so amazing. Uh, Luba, who cooks for us while, when we're over there teaching, she, she is so great. She, she, the second time or third trip I was there, I don't remember which trip it was, but, but she had taken her choir and they'd all learn, um, not beat out my vision, how firm a foundation in English so they could sing it for me. And I didn't sing it in Russian, but anyway. <laughs> okay. When you run into stuff like that, then you know that you have a God who cares. When you touch the lives of other people who are around you, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a, a, a relative who doesn't know Christ, you know that God is a God who feels. He's a God who breathes. He's a God who cares. And He cares about all people. All people. Listen, God's fellowship of His church is to manifest Him. We have to remember that. It ain't numbers. It ain't how big you are or what does your building look like or whether you've got clean bathrooms or dirty bathrooms or toilet paper. That ain't it. It is to be a manifestation of the nature and the character of God. And then it's fascinating. As in all the churches of the saints, and then there's a special message to the women. Fascinating, don't you think? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your church. For the gifts that you've given your church. And Father, has the whole globe today the whole globe has taken time to think about an empty grave. Father, you are alive. You are so alive. And I pray that your church will manifest you, your nature and your character. That Christ will be seen in the people when you take them from such diverse backgrounds and draw them all together in the oneness of your spirit, the power and the authority of your scriptures. The lost people will see the manifestation of Jesus Christ. (sighs) What an awesome God. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the amazing things you do. Father, I praise you. You placed me in your church. You brought all these precious people to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, we never take it for granted. We cherish one another, the time we have with one another, and we just love one another in the power of your spirit, the love of you poured into our hearts. We were overwhelmed by you. In Christ's precious name. Amen.